Hello and welcome to uh, the final There Are Giants podcast of the year. As I, your host, Roger Munter, am going to take a little Christmas break after this. Uh, and, and I guess I'm kicking it off today because this is a real Christmas treat for me. Uh, I can't tell you how tickled I am that I get to talk with someone who I, I literally spend hundreds of hours listening to over the course of the year. Uh, one of the great voices of Giants baseball, David B. Fleming. Uh, Dave, I know your schedule is madness, so I can't thank you enough for crafting some time out to, to chat with me. How are things? Things are good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you. I, we we had a productive conversation last year when we did this. I think we made some predictions that came true. Um, we sure did. You said something on that podcast last year that I returned to over and over again. That was maybe the truest words ever spoken on this podcast. And I'm I'm definitely going to get back to that topic today. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, you are a tremendously busy person. Yeah, I, I turn on college football. I hear your voice. I, I was watching a golf show the other day. I hear your voice. How much time, do you, how connected are you actually to what's going on with the Giants in the offseason? I mean, I know you're not on Twitter, so you're not refreshing every five, five minutes to see what's going on. But overall, like how much are you following kind of their progress in the, in the offseason? Too much uh, MLB trade rumors refreshing, even if I'm <laughs> off Twitter. Uh, I can't help it. Um yeah, I'm a little less connected just because I don't talk to the, you know, the people in our front office day to day like I do during the season. So I am a little less connected. I, I still check in and try to get a feel for how things are going. And I, I I think I have a decent feel for that. But yeah, it's it's not really as much about my schedule, although I am really busy. It's more about those people are really busy, Farhan and Pete <laughs> and and company. And so, you know, I just don't get a chance to run into him. Farhan and I are sort of neighbors. So I I was thinking the other day, I need to ride my bike over uh, and just kind of swing by and say hi. Well, I, obviously, we've had uh, we've had some ups and some downs uh, over the last few days uh, as Giants fans. I do kind of want to leverage your your relationship with all these people because you can you can give us insight into things we can't see as fans. When you when that announcement of Otani signing with the Dodgers comes down, and this isn't a terribly unexpected outcome, but certainly a disappointing one. What did you what do you think the feeling inside the org is? How do the people sort of process these disappointments that have seemed to be kind of annual uh, the last few years? Yeah, I think this one was probably less. I mean, it, it, it certainly doesn't hurt any less, but it was probably less surprising than the Aaron Judge one last year. I mean, I think the Giants really felt like last year that they had made a productive and winning pitch to Aaron Judge. I think with Otani, it's just been so hard for even the people in the room with him to gauge his thinking. His, you know, his whole thing has been to to not reveal any emotions about this. And so I think the Giants were pretty rational about how their chances lined up with Otani. Doesn't mean that it's not a gut punch when it's the Dodgers, because I think, you know, in a weird way, the bailout of the Blue Jays would have been like, okay, well, we're disappointed we didn't get him, uh, but we're not going to see him 15 times a year. And, uh, you know, look, it's going to be really, really hard. What Did the Dodgers come in on that first homestand, I think? Uh yeah. We see the Dodgers early, whatever it is. I'm I'm blanking on the schedule, but when he's in that uniform, it's gonna be really awful for Giants fans. It is, and it's that feeling's gonna probably dissipate as the years 
go by, but it's going to sting a lot. So I'm sure it was a tough day for for everybody in there, even if they were pretty reasonable about their actual chances with Otani. You know, I don't want to get sidelined too much by this, um, uh, but obviously the, the kind of news cycle du jour uh, is this issue of San Francisco. You know, Ken Rosenthal saying they they have a city issue. Uh, you live in San Francisco. You bicycle around San Francisco. I presume you'd love it. How do you respond? And not like debate respond, but just personally, how do you respond when this issue comes up? Yeah, it makes me mad. I mean, I think Buster actually spoke pretty eloquently the other day about it. Um you know, Buster is not a city liver like I am, but he's obviously cares a lot about the Bay Area and it bugs him, too. It really makes me mad. I mean, I, San Francisco is is doing you know, we have our problems. We do. Uh, and everybody here is working really hard to try to actually solve some of those problems. They're really hard problems to solve. But the idea, you know, the the sort of Ron DeSantis idea of this is like a hellscape to be avoided at all costs <laughs> and is. You know, it's not just it's it's not just offensive. It's just ludicrous. You come here in San Francisco, aside from the you know the one part of town that really is still struggling. San Francisco is doing great, and uh, Northern California is as beautiful as it ever has been. So, uh, you know, is it overblown? It's way overblown. The idea of like failed city and uh, and I think even our fans. You know, it's not just free agents. Our fans. Uh, I'm not telling anybody how to think, but, uh, you know, people aren't coming to as many games because even people who live way away outside of the city are sort of buying into this idea of you. And if you come into the city, you just realize, well, that's just, it's just not the case. Uh, So we still have a lot of work to do. It's very important for much bigger reasons than baseball. And I do think for Buster, for Ken Rosenthal, the people who've talked about it, it is a barrier for players right now. Um, the tax issue, I don't think is like if I hear that one more time, I'm that makes me bad <laughs> because, you know, somehow it hasn't been an issue for LeBron James and Steph Curry and Shohei Otani and Mookie Betts and Manny Machado and Fernando Tati, like all the biggest stars in sports are in California. So the idea that the taxes are keeping star players from coming to the Giants is is ludicrous but the the other stuff is something they have to push back on i think the biggest issue though is the giants have to have more success on the field consistently to make a better argument to some of these top 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 shelf players that you're coming here to win championships this will be the 10th anniversary of the final giants world series win uh and in those 10 years what have they made the playoffs twice um the last world championship and that has to get better i think you know that's as big of an issue to me as the you know sort of the the homelessness crisis in san francisco is yeah it's uh one of my brothers points this out all the time that 65 years i guess now san francisco giants baseball they've gone to the playoffs in back-to-back seasons one time uh, 2002 2003 and and that's the hump we really need to get over where it's it's annual competition um well, so we'll turn to something uh, uh, happier. We do reportedly, you know, pending physical is, is a thing these days, uh, have a have an agreement with uh, the Korean center fielder, Jung, Jung-Hoo Lee. Um, 
And uh, for at least the report, a fairly surprising dollar figure. I don't know if if, if missing out Otani, do you think it changes their strategy to going after guys like whether it's Lee or Yamamoto or, or Snell? Are they um, Do they feel an urgency to get ahead of uh, bidding wars in those ways? I think Lee was actually preceded Otani. I mean, everybody, Otani's been on everybody's radar since the moment he signed with the Angels. Basically, people have been counting down uh, to this uh, offseason with him. So that's not totally true to say, but Lee, Lee was the easiest prediction for the Giants of the whole offseason. Lee's contract had absolutely nothing, any suggestion that they overpaid or or panicked and said, we got to get a player uh, and that's why that number was the way it is, uh, is coming from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. That number is not out of line with what the Giants expected and what teams expected. That number, by the way, I mean, we don't have official contract details, I guess, until he gets his physical. But since there's an opt out after four years, you know what? The first four years of the deal are going to be what, like 70 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so if you just sort of frame it like it's a four-year, $70 million contract, does that sound like some outlandish? Uh, right. No, it doesn't. Not not at all. Um, Giants been on this guy for a long time. I talked to some people who really know Korean baseball, and for the last 18 months they've been telling me the Giants are the team for Lee. The Giants are the ones that are focused on him the hardest. Uh, they believe in his talent. They believe he's much more than just kind of like a guy who can come over here and be a solid player. They believe there's true upside to be a great player at this level. And I, I tend to think that, you know, there's so many biases that are, that still remain from maybe two decades ago about Asian baseball, but international sports in general. And I think when you look around the French players, the African players, the South American players in the NBA, the, the even even the NFL has started to have an international presence with some kids who grew up in Germany or Finland who are now are yeah. high level football players like the, the world has become so much smaller and more connected it's way easier to to come to grips with the idea that the best player in Korea and there's no doubt this guy was the best player by far Everybody, everybody who pays attention to Korean baseball for the last five years has circled this guy. Here's the best player in our game. Here's our here's our superstar. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that that guy isn't going to be a good, solid major league player. Yeah, and I really do like uh, what you touched upon with the sort of globalization of talent. Uh, somebody who grew up in the 60s when the Giants were at the forefront of bringing in talent from around the world. Uh, they've gone away from that uh, over the decades. It really is enjoyable to see them uh, bring in an Asian star to add to this team, particularly in that city. Uh, and I just think from a baseball perspective, I was talking about this with Kerry Crowley yesterday, uh, you're now set up to have a 25-year-old in center field, a 25-year-old at catcher, uh, a 22-year-old at shortstop. Tyro Estrada at second base is the oldest guy they've got up the middle. I cannot tell you when the last time the Giants had that much youth up the middle of the field, and that's a significant step towards getting them to be the team they need to be, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you and Kerry on that. I think that's true. Look, they think he, this guy's, you know, it's not just, okay, so he has certain skills that they believe will translate. I think, you know, you and I probably talked last year about Pete Patilla and his 
uh, obsession might be too strong of a word, but Pete is a is a true believer in the power of hard work in the weight room paying off on the field. And so I think they've watched Hassan Kim. Like if you look at, and Bob Melvin had a front row seat to this. Like if you look at what to go, go watch a game or look at a picture of Hassan Kim, his first year. And then last year and see the physical transformation. Like this guy put in the work to become a much more physical player. And all of a sudden, all the little things that he did well were compounded by hitting 17 home runs and, uh, how many doubles he hit last year. Like Hassan Kim turned into one of the 15 best players in the National League last year. And uh, and I think a lot of that was physical development. And I think the Giants really believe that uh, Lee will come here, get into their conditioning program. And it may not happen the first year, but by 2025 and going forward, I think they feel like they'll get all the skills that he has plus more physical projection. I think that's a big part of this deal. Yeah, you cannot overstate how big a part of any conversation you have with Pete Patilla is about strength, explosive, uh, getting stronger. I mean, I was I was talking to him one point this summer, and he said people do not realize how huge major league players are and how jack they all are I and mean, you cannot play in that level without these kind of physical uh tools um, yeah otani i mean i did the all-star game this year and uh not that i'd never stood right next to him but just being right next to him uh i, I was like wow yeah. <laughs> it really was i i it took it it took me back a little bit i i mean i you know, I've, I've been around Kenley. I've always thought Kenley Jansen was one of those players where you stand next to him. You're like, oh, my gosh, like that guy's a monster. Uh, the the closer for the Orioles was there. And I oh, was yeah. he was just and there's a reason they call him the mountain. But Otani was right there with him. And I think uh, you're right to circle that about Pete. It's a big part of his philosophy. I mean, even down where I'm going to games at Richmond. Even even double A, these guys are huge and they're so strong. You go to BP and they are just hitting the ball so hard. And and this is guys who aren't necessarily going to get to the highest level. It's it's astonishing to see the the change in the game in that way. Um, okay, I, I am going to get back to what we said last year, but I won't drop that you said at the beginning you think you have a good feel for which way uh, or how things are going to develop. You said on, uh, on, on the TK show a week ago that you thought big things were coming. Do you still think there's more big things coming uh, uh, beyond what we've gotten already? I do. Uh, I mean, I definitely do. The giants are not done making moves. Uh, the, the thing that's even changed since I talked to Tim with Yamamoto, because, because to me, in my mind, and I've, I haven't exactly been shy about sharing this, uh, the Giants and Yamamoto have been uh, flirting with one another for two plus years. I mean, this is not a new thing for the Giants. The Giants have circled this guy as much as anybody in baseball around the world over the last two plus years. Uh, I think the Giants are a little bit obsessed with Yamamoto. Um, and I think had he... <laughs> Had he had like a slightly worse season this last year, <laughs> he might already be a giant. I mean, I really, it, this was, if you'd asked me last winter to make a prediction for the upcoming year, the first thing I would have said is that Yamamoto would be a giant uh, this off season. I th they were, they, they, they thought they had Senga. They thought they had an agreement really with, uh, to sign Senga. 
that fell through at the last minute purely because I think, I think he wanted to pitch with Scherzer and Verlander and like, you know, it turned into like a personal thing. Um, and the Giants have Yamamoto evaluated much more highly even than Senga. So the problem is now is that he had such a great year and there's just become this consensus uh, that even it's, it's, it's a similar to an Otani situation. The Giants are going to offer, I believe, as much money as anybody. And it could be that he just doesn't choose to sign here. And so that will be a wrench because I think the Giants were prepared to pay more for Yamamoto than anybody. And that may be gone now. Other teams may have decided, I don't care what the number is, we're paying it for him. And at that point, then you can't control it. You, yeah. Maybe he wants to come here, but, you know, you read that thing yesterday about Otani and Mookie and Freeman sitting in the room pitching him. That's hard to, you know, how do you fight that? How do you, what, what's your argument against that other than playing into a guy's competitiveness and say, don't be that guy who just joins <laughs> them, be the guy to compete against him. So if that if Yamamoto doesn't happen, I've been convinced all all year that Yamamoto to the Giants was going to happen, and I'm less convinced of that now. I yeah, you know, I still think they want another higher level starting pitcher, uh, whether that's Snell, well, Marcus Stroman is definitely a possibility. And then I think you know, even though Matt Chapman isn't a perfect roster fit, I do think his defense makes the Giants a lot better. And, you know, they have enough pitchers who would benefit from Matt Chapman's defense to where I think that would be a, a natural move. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but um, I think that's a decent prediction too. So I don't think the Giants are done. Uh, I really thought the offseason was going to be Lee and Yamamoto and then whatever else. I think I was close to being right. I'm just not sure that Yamamoto now is not, you know, in a different stratosphere. Yeah, Yamamoto to the Dodgers, too, would be a, a real gut punch. But I, you know, clearly what the next couple of weeks are going to be an arms race, whether it's trades or, or free agent. Uh, uh, the, the pitchers are going to start start moving. and, and Yamamoto that, to the Giants would make – Farhan would be sick over that. He would be. I mean, I, I, I think I can speak for him. Like he would, he believes this guy is, is arguably as good a pitcher as there is in the world. And uh, that would hurt. It would, it would hurt more than Otani. I think internally for the giants in a lot of ways, I think Yamamoto has been the guy that the giants have circled and said, this is, we love him. We have a relationship with him and his agent and the seeds have been planted going back two years and we're prepared to make a big offer bigger than anybody else. And that obviously has changed now. And, uh, you know, the Dodgers are clearly obsessed with, and I would be too, if I were them, I'd be, you know, they've won all these games. They've won all these division championships. And last year, their performance in the playoffs was just pathetic. And I would be really motivated if I were them to take advantage of my window now. And so they may just be saying to heck with it. We're just doing we're doing it all. We can Whatever do it all. It takes. Yeah. It's the old George Steinbrenner model. We're going to get it all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully Yamamoto wants to compete against those guys, but uh, yeah. That would be great. And I think, you know, you can, you just close your eyes and imagine Yamamoto and Webb together. And that's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty cool thought. Okay. So now I am going to, to wrap us back around to last year's conversation uh, where you said at that time that uh, I don't remember whether it was Kyle Haynes or Farhan you'd been talking to that said, uh, the time for slow playing prospects is done. We're going to start pushing people. And my God, did they start pushing people uh, in, in an astonishing method. 
So one year in, obviously there were some some real benefits from that. There were other things that were um, more bidding success, but overall, did you get the the feeling that the organization came away from this this experiment saying, yeah, this works. This is what we want to do. This is how we're going to treat this going forward. Uh yeah, I do. I, 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 that's, I mean, that's a hard question because you're right. It wasn't wholly successful. It wasn't a hundred percent successful the way that they did that. Um, you know, and, and Farhan still strongly believes in the idea of, of, you know, slow and steady progress in a sport like this, but there's never been an age in this game where the technology has at least made it possible to like identify weaknesses and target weaknesses and work specifically on those. And I think on the pitching side, the Giants are are still 100% committed to, to being more aggressive with promotions. The position player side maybe is a little different. Um, you know, maybe the experience of this last year might uh, predict a little more caution going forward. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Matos and Casey Schmidt and some of the guys who did see, you know, struggled big time with the adjustment level. And Luciano would be, sort of the huge question looming over this off season. And it does make you wonder whether, uh, you know, they're going to be willing to buy into the idea that Marco can play. Now I will say this. I was really impressed with him. Just the few days we had Luciano around the big league team. I thought a, you know, just from a physical standpoint, he sure yeah. looks like he belongs like, yeah. and the other guys sort of do, but Luciano definitely does. Um, and I thought his movements, his actions at shortstop defensively were way better than what I'd been sort of led to believe was the case. So I'm I'm more optimistic about if they take a chance on him about it working. But I understand if they're reluctant to just sort of give the job to Luciano entirely. And I think the defense is the, the hitting Luciano's got a lot of ability as a hitter. It's going to take him time to learn mm -hmm. big league pitching but i think they believe that he will the defense is the bigger question at that position yeah and and i had a real sort of evolution um with his defense last year um i think mostly just because of his his physical well-being when he first showed up in richmond i think he was still kind of working his way through the aches and pains of the back he hadn't played in the field much and extended and he looked a little stiff, but by the end of his time in Richmond, I I was like, yeah, I can see it. He's moving really well out there. He certainly has the arm for it. Um, sometimes the internal clock is uh, isn't quite you know where you want to be. And we saw that I think in his first game where he was a little slow on a on a throw. But he he works so hard and he's so serious about about his game. Uh, but if they do go into the year with him, I mean, he does not have much AAA time on his on his and not much AA time. You make a good point. The even Patrick Bailey, who was sensational this year, it's mostly on the defensive side. They didn't have any real success stories with young hitters last year, and that's going to be something they'll have to figure out uh, as they go forward. But you could see them being really aggressive with even somebody like Reggie Crawford, who's barely pitched, but he's a lefty who throws ninety nine. I mean, you can move guys like that quickly. And maybe that side of the model is we're going to see them continue to be aggressive going forward. I heard last year there was even some talk about Reggie Crawford being up in September. Uh, now, 
you know, that obviously the way his minor league season went, that plan sort of, you know, just sort of fell by the wayside. He wasn't going to be ready for that. But I think there was some, there was an idea of, hey, if this guy hits the ground running and in short bursts is just looking polished and dominating, uh, why wouldn't we at least consider it for, you know, a, a stretch run, have a guy yeah. coming out of the bullpen for an inning at a time who could be a dominator. And so I, you know, I think to your point, you're right to circle him and players like him as possible, you know, real fast track candidates um, on the pitching side. I think, you know, they, they believe that the get, you know, Tristan Beck made huge strides last year. I think they really believe in his talent. Keaton Wynn's health is a different issue, but I think they really believe Keaton Wynn can be, yeah a contributor to the big league team this year in a major way. I think the kid that you've seen much more than I have Mason black, I think they feel like yeah. he's got a chance to contribute. I think they've got an idea that this kid bird song could be in the big leagues this year. Um, and then Kyle Harrison's obviously a huge one to take. And if Kyle, so many of the giants problems get solved, if Kyle just becomes who they think he can be, if Kyle becomes one a or B to Logan Webb and this year is the year where the Giants have a second ace who's 22 and homegrown. A lot of the Giants issues get solved. A lot of them. You know, it is interesting because while we talk about how, you know, I mean, Patrick Bailey spent 28 games in the minors last year, Louis Matos uh, in at 21, Kyle Harrison really wasn't part of that aggressive. They kind of had the, the kit gloves and the, and tight constraint on him. So that by the time he got up, he really wasn't built up as much as you could hope for him to go out and give those, those starting efforts. Uh, and I think maybe, you know, pumping him up to six or seven innings quickly took a little toll on him. Is he, so you, you we talked about Luciano being a bit of a gamble. Is he somebody who is going to be part of the rotation? Almost certainly uh, barring unforeseen things in spring uh, as it stands now. Yes, I think so. I think he's, firmly in the plans to be one of those five starters. And I think the Giants will have a little bit more of a deliberate plan to get him into the season and built up so he can last the full season with a lot of stamina. It was weird what happened last year with Kyle and that dynamic you talked about. And I think, you know, this is not to take Gabe Kapler and Andrew Bailey and I'm sorry to see those guys go and, I think they did good jobs with the Giants. I'm, I don't think that what happened with the Giants was those guys' fault. But but I do think, you know, there was this whole plan in place with Kyle, and then he got to the big leagues and showed that stuff, and all of a sudden it was like, well, we're, we're, <laughs> we're riding this guy. And I think you're right. That did take a toll on him. Um, so I think there'll be a little bit more deliberate plan of how to map out his workload for the full year. But it's hard to watch some of those starts with Kyle and not think gosh you know we got a special talent here the weirdness of the left on left and lack of success when all the time that you've seen him coming up he just absolutely dominated uh, tells me that something was going on you know there was a tip or a tell for lefties that I think can get cleaned up I don't know why that didn't get cleaned up in the middle of the season it can be hard to do um but I think there was something going on there that le- I would take those results to me. I would take those results and throw them out and figure yeah. that's going to get fixed. Yeah. And and as special of a talent as Kyle is 
physically uh, as a competitor, he's even more so. I mean, this is a guy you really want to build a rotation around because and Mason Black actually is kind of that way too. You love to see these guys who just love to compete out there. One thing that I'm going to be really fascinated watching this year was will be how the change of the big league staff affects minor league development because we know you know Gabe did like to piece things together with the pitching we've heard from Brian Price that he has a very different philosophy is this going to start to filter down where guys in the minors are going longer um they're not being pulled at four innings and five innings and we see a little more length we see them building up uh, I don't think there's any way of knowing this but I think that's sets up to be one of the kind of fascinating player development stories of next year. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think you should ask that question of the next, uh, <laughs> you know, the next time you have Kyle Haynes or whoever on, I think that's a very good question. Uh, Cause my guess is it will filter down and it will, this is definitely going to be a different usage pattern at the big league level. And I think, you know, to me, one of the players like Tristan Beck is one of the players you would, look at and say, okay, how, what are the Giants envision for him? Like, does Brian Price look at him and say, that's the repertoire of somebody who can go a lot deeper into a game than maybe we assumed before last year and, and hold his stuff for five or six innings? I think Tristan is another guy who had a tip at times last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, those are little details that for young guys can be hard to solve, even if everybody knows what's happening. Uh, I think if you look back at Tristan's game by game, there are a couple outliers where there was a game against the Padres, I think, where he just got absolutely destroyed. And I think they knew it was yeah. coming. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I think for young guys, that can be a huge issue. But when they didn't know it was coming, Tristan Beck was pretty darn good this last year, like uh, undervalued probably among people around the game. You know, that's the kind of guy that'll be interesting to watch at the top level of how Brian Price and Bob want to use him. Yeah. uh, Another guy who's a tremendous competitor who does a lot of really good things on the mound. And, and of course I know you have a fondness for him because of his uh, Stanford background. Um, Let me get off the mound. You know, and, and, and he is like Kyle and like Logan, like those are the guys you want to go to war with. Like they are, they are, focused on you know I spent a lot of time with Logan recently and Logan could be you know a different guy could be feeling a little sorry for himself like man I signed this contract and now they're out there offering 200 300 million to some guy (laughs) from Japan who's never pitched at this level and look at all the stuff I've done he's not like that at all like he's like give them all the I, I want those guys on my team like Logan is just the ultimate team guy I think Kyle is that way and I think Tristan Beck is that way Keaton Wynn is too it's just you know Keaton's gotta be able to have his body hold up um whereas I think Beck now has sort of cleared that hump where it feels like Tristan's gonna be good going forward absolutely and and I've been I have long been a Tristan Beck fan and and thought people were not we're kind of sleeping on him a little bit he had the back issues um does a lot of good things on the mound he does I don't I don't want to skip over Patrick Bailey too much, though, because his year really was sort of a revelation. Um, You know, he had a great defensive reputation. I've always heard pitchers talk about working with them in glowing terms. But then to see it impact games the way it did last year was was a revelation. How long did it take you to realize that you were seeing something special when he got up there on that defensive side? 
Well, I, I, before I even could see it with my own eyes, I thought the first time, I think the first time he worked with Webb, Cobb, and Di Sclafani, all three of whom early in the year were calling their own pitches. Remember, they used the pitch com on the belt, and all three of those guys were basically calling every pitch of every game. And I think the first game that Bailey caught Webb, Logan wasn't doing that anymore. And I was like, wow, first one? Yeah. <laughs> like it, 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 and so to me, that just, you know, Patrick, one of his great qualities is he is sort of like a savant uh, yeah. in terms of, I mean, I think Buster was a savant of pregame preparation, but especially in-game. I don't know if we know that enough about Patrick yet to say that, but yeah. I think in terms of the pregame prep, Bailey absorbs information and is able to call it up in real time in a way that's special. And I think those pitchers just really, really, really trust his ability to do that. So that's when I first thought, wow, okay, that, that tells you something. Um, and I would say, you know, Kyle Harrison and Patrick Bailey are the two most important Giants for 2024. Um, the upside for the Giants lies largely in those two guys. Um, and look, Patrick... For all the great stuff, Patrick did not finish the year well. His defense frayed big time in the last few weeks. The mm -hmm. throws were way too erratic. Uh, you know, I it, it bugs me. Like, this is just me, but it bugs me when a player publicly starts talking about how tired they are. It's like, dude, look around the room. Everybody else is <laughs> tired, too. You're supposed to be in a special category. Now, I understand catcher's different, and, you know, uh, Patrick is a wonderful young man, and I really, I mean, I believe strongly in his ability to be like a true difference maker for the Giants for a long time to come. But he's got to work his tail off this winter to come in in prime physical condition so that that doesn't happen again. And if he does that, I think the Giants, you saw that we all saw the advantage of having a catcher. It's just monumental. If you have a catcher that the pitchers all trust, whose body holds up and gives you offense, you have a huge leg up on almost all of your competition in this sport. And the Giants have a chance to have that with him. But some of that is up to Patrick to, to tighten that stuff up. I mean, he's got he's to dedicate himself so that this year can be as good as it possibly can be. Yeah, and it's it's – you know, not for nothing when he was having those difficult years in, in Eugene, um, that's not what people I talked to in the organization would talk about. They would talk about, we want to see him get stronger. He, he came in and he doesn't have the physical ability to get through a season. And last spring, why people were so excited about him was he was much stronger, obviously to the eye. Um, so he took the first step, but there's another step to go there. And that's correct. Just... And he, I think that's really encouraging. I'm glad you said that because he has already made huge strides in that regard. And I think it surprised him like, and part of it is the Giants rode him hard and it was hard for Gabe Kapler not to write his name in the lineup every day. Um, but I think Bob's going to be good for Patrick. I mean, Bob is, you know, Bob's got more buster personality in him that both guys are like the nicest guys off the field and super articulate and come across as almost bookwormish. Yeah. Uh, but Bone Bell is like Buster. He's a very edgy guy when it comes to the competition. And 
I think that'll help Patrick. I think having somebody, you know, Craig Albernez obviously did a great job with Bailey. They developed a really special relationship. And probably when Patrick needed somebody to be his champion, be his advocate, there was nobody better to to sort of trumpet Bailey's skills than Craig Albernez. But those two were just like buddies, you know? And yeah. I think it it could help Bailey to have a little <laughs> more uh, give and take relationship with his, you know, Buster and Bochi were almost always on the same page, but it was good for Buster to have a former catcher who was willing to kind of push back on some of his ideas. I think that really benefited Buster when he was young. I'm hoping that happens with, uh, with Patrick and Bomel. Yeah. I mean, uh, Bob Woods was that guy one time. I remember when the Giants acquired him and Roger Craig said, I work with this kid in Detroit. He's one of the brightest minds I know. I want this guy on my staff, you know, when he was 25 years old. So he has been there and, and done that. And and I do agree with you. That should be a... And I hope I wasn't being too harsh on Bailey because I, I, I guess my bar for him is so high because I think he's got a chance to be really special. Like he's got a chance to be so much more of a difference maker for this franchise than anybody probably realizes. Like he could be a, you know, whatever you, if you want to use war or whatever, he can be a five win player for them, which is like a really high level star level player for the next 10 years. He can be, yeah. uh, he's got that in him. And uh, some of that is on him to put in the work to handle the workload of that it's it's the most demanding physical position in sports, and so I'm certainly not saying it's easy to do. But if you want to reach that ceiling, that's what you got to do, and I think that it's, that's a huge key for him. Yeah, this is a challenge I face, uh, you know, every day in my work because I, I'm I'm in favor of these kids. I'm their advocate. I want to see them all do well, but you also got to express and communicate where the challenges are because it is so so hard what they are attempting yeah. to do is almost impossible um I, well um my my zoom thing is telling me i got to get off now i i could talk to you a long long time if my technology allowed me and your schedule did but i really appreciate you taking some time to talk giants baseball with me dave uh and i hope you have a wonderful holiday season and and we'll see you in the new year same to you. We'll, we'll talk again uh, soon, I hope. I hope so. And and to all my listeners and readers and supporters, uh, I cannot express how much uh, I appreciate you following my work uh, and, and taking some time out to see my perspective on Giants baseball. Uh, I'll be back with more podcasts in the new year, and we'll have plenty to talk about. Merry Christmas to everybody. Thanks. I put down with my own. My dreams around you The boys in the NYPD chorus The singing go away by And the bells are ringing out For Christmas Day